everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another awesome show for you planned out today. Um, well, we don't really plan anything here, do we, Sean? You're the one who plans. I just try to keep up. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a good plan for what's going on today, and I'm really excited. Um, Doc Collars is joining us here. I'm very excited. He, You have you a doctor, doctorate in psychology, master's of... Master's in uh, marriage and family therapy and a master's in uh, criminal justice and currently working on another doctorate in exercise science. Blood for punishment, man. Dude, pick up the pace. You're a freaking <laughs> <Right>. underperformer. <laughs> uh, before we get, you also have your own podcast, right? You got the Forensic Psychology Podcast. You got the Dark, Dr. Carlos Show. And there, I've seen a couple other, like you have a host of show on iHeartRadio, I believe, as well. Yeah, they're all on iHeart. Um, Forensic Psych, thank you for, for, for sharing it too. Forensic Psych, um, Circle of Insights shows more of a psychology base for people who usually a lot of the students will listen to that. And then um, the other popular one is the story of special forces operators. So that's usually a psychological look at, at the special forces and community. That's been mm, a lot of fun. Quick, quick question for you then. Are, have you taken some time to dissect uh, Dr. Art Finch's... Uh, the psychological profile of an operator. It was, it's a podcast that is about 68 minutes long. It came out last November ish kind of thing. I think. Have you had to listen to that yet? Is he the one that created, um, there was a, like a, a white paper or some kind of or some kind of little study that was done on soft community and he had some kind of therapy, or he not a therapy, but he kind of broke down the profile of a soft operator. Was that him? That's right. Yeah, and okay. uh, I I've listened to it about three times. I only came onto it. I want to say maybe a month or so ago. Someone sent it to me, and I took a listen, and and uh, I found it to be fascinating. And I've actually spoken about this on a live chat uh, on my own uh, Instagram live uh, chat that I do every morning. And uh, essentially, it's this. And why I found it fascinating, maybe selfishly, is because it provided some insight, either rightly or wrongly, into what I think I might be. And so um, <laughs> what he established was this. He's done about 10,000 interviews uh, of uh, SOCOM uh, down, of course, down the U.S. That's for our Canadian uh, folks up here. It was a U.S.-based uh, process over many, many years. And he started drawing some interesting trends, some comparisons between, we'll call it the baseline general uh, population versus the people who were sitting in front of him during the interview process for SOCOM. And so he teased out some things, but one of the things that struck me the most, it was the first point that he raised, and that is, I always thought I was a pretty dumb kid. And um, <laughs> when I was in high school, I thought I wasn't that smart because I was failing some things like tests were, I, I kind of sucked at math and, and school didn't interest me. And like the person who was standing in front of me was kind of boring me. And I just couldn't really engage too much in high school. And so um, as he stated, during many, 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 many interviews, all of the guys that were sitting in front of uh, Dr. Art Finch were saying the same thing. Dude, I'm, I'm not that smart. And he's looking at them saying, your IQ score would enable you to be a surgeon or a uh, blah, 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 astronaut, whatever. 
and every guy was shaking their head like, nah, I, that's, that's not me. I, I didn't do well in school. I didn't do well in college. I didn't do well in university. I'm actually kind of a dumb kid. He heard that so many times. So what he did was a regressive uh, study of all of the IQs that he tracked over all of those tests and then started creating wow. a trend. And that was that all the people sitting in front of him who thought they were dumb were actually really high IQs, almost not to the man, but that was the general trend that he observed a lot. And so what I did was I went back and took a look at my IQ scores. I've, I did three independent, uh, like as a civilian or as a veteran, uh, after the fact, just out of curiosity more than anything. And my IQ was kind of hanging around at 147. And Whoa. every time I tested, uh, I'd, I'd keep thinking like, this, there's something wrong with this test. This test is dumb. This test doesn't work. This test is broken because I'm actually not that smart. I'd uh, from high school I'd established that I just wasn't that smart in context of the teacher who was in front of me who was boring me, so obviously I was dumb. But as he states, a lot of us in our big old peanuts are 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 spending about 10% listening to a teacher and the other 90% considering other things things that interest me or whatever's out the window that is more interesting than the boring stuff I'm listening to from a grade eight teacher or whatever. And so I'm curious if you haven't listened to the psychological profile uh, podcast uh, with Dr. Art Finch, do you have any observations on these kind of things uh, on IQ as a, uh, as, as maybe a first uh, line of questioning? You know what? I don't, nothing at least, as structured as that, what I do notice, I've been, I've been probably about almost a hundred now. And what I have found is everybody that I've communicated with and soft has been incredibly intelligent, but they have a different type of intelligence right. and they have a cognitive flexibility. That's, that's what we call it, at least and not every psychologist is going to agree. They're going to have different terms for it, but cognitive flexibility is the ability to adapt to your situation. So if something goes wrong, which, you both know a lot of times it does <laughs> and they cause those kind of griefs for you in training anyway, that you're able to adapt and you're able to think of alternative solutions. And in that prefrontal cortex area, you guys are just amazing. I mean, every single one of you, when I listen to you, it's just the way you guys respond to everything. is just so fast. Um, so I haven't done anything structurally. I mean, uh, let me just, I can't think of the word right now but anything quantitatively that actually measures it. But I'm not surprised at all that you guys have a high IQ. Just from mm -hmm. everybody that I've interviewed, you can definitely tell that there's a sharpness there. There's an ability to assess whatever the situation is quickly, which again is that prefrontal cortex area. I, I can't tell emotional reasoning or emotional IQ as they would call it, the EQ, um, because I'm on Zoom. So I don't know if you can read. Right. Yeah, so I can't tell if you can read people's body language and stuff like that that really really well. But from everybody I've talked to, I always tell them the same thing. It's an amazing ability that you guys have. And obviously, they've found that and they know what succeeds in that environment. But your situation is very interesting because you're not the first one I've ever heard that from, from a soft right. community member. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, and I've never heard anyone uh, categorize it as such with that cognitive flexibility, for lack of a better term, up in the prefrontal cortex. The I, I understand a little bit about the PFC and how it works, but uh, I'd never really considered the phrase. That phrase really works for me really well, cognitive flexibility, because some it's it's a blessing and a curse. 
So I'll, I'll give you a, a good example here, perhaps, or a personal example. My wife, her, she's way smarter than I am. And uh, <laughs> she, she is. She's just way smarter. Uh, her IQ is higher. And, uh, and, and she's better in business. She's a engineer, runs big projects and yada, yada, uh, boring. But, um, <laughs> what, what I, what her, how she thinks and how she responds, I consider her to be a slow thinker, uh, whereas mm. I'm a fast thinker. And by fast, I mean, like I, I make decisions in split seconds and execute against them. And it's got me in trouble in the past, not because I've made the wrong decisions, just simply because I think so fast. And so you know, if I'm, if I'm one second ahead of a person or, or 12 seconds ahead on a person, I'm getting impatient waiting for someone to make the same conclusion mm -hmm. that I made in a split second and, and maybe not match my decision-making process, but, you know, and they don't even have to agree with me, but I find like sometimes I'm drumming mentally, drumming my fingers on a table, waiting for someone to catch up with the moment that happened, you know, 12 seconds ago. So that fast thinking, that cognitive flexibility has got me in trouble in the past, you know? Well, that's interesting. Now, that one I haven't heard too much from those from, from anybody, but that doesn't mean they haven't thought about it, though. <laughs> so maybe they did. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't want to cut you guys off because you guys are going into some really great territory here. But Dude, sorry, I, do, I know you've got topics. It's oh, all good. Subscribe. No, not even exactly. I was just going to make sure that everybody hit the like button, subscribes, and hits the uh, notification bell. Um, also, I do want to add in that people are just checking in with everybody. Hey, Daniel, what's up? Alan's watching. What's up, y'all? And Alan says, Carlos, my man. Fantastic. Oh, Shabaro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just want to make sure that everybody's good to go on that because awesome. I'm glad everybody's watching. Carlos, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You know, you and I were talking on the phone and um, we, we got into this really great conversation about social media and how it's useful and how all these uh even the fact that podcasts as a medium are becoming so successful i i really believe it's because more people want more information rather than what's happening with or what has happened with tv and cable series where it's just constant noise rather than depth of actual experience um but we wanted to talk about um or at least what we were gonna kind of come forward with <laughs> was the social aspect of media and uh i believe i was saying that more people were uh flocking to social media and then you had postulated that actually people were leaving social media as a whole or young people were leaving social media more by and large i believe that's what we we're getting into do you remember that conversation we were getting into yeah absolutely because to me it's been i like to follow it to see where it's going um, and I know some, some articles came out in the past three or four months showing a 20% drop off on all platforms. When I ask students who are younger, if they're on social media out of curiosity, the overwhelming majority, uh, about 80% usually say they're not. Hmm. Um, so that to me was a, a surprise because I didn't expect it. And so I had to ask the follow-up question, right? Where are you going? <laughs> if you're not going there, where are you heading? And a lot of them we're heading to chat group chats on text and i get it right both of you guys probably understand this i don't know how old you guys are i'm 51 but 60 wants, 40 wow um then you guys would understand it when you're an 18 year old 16 year old you don't want to be where your parents are hanging out 
whether it's in the physical environment or in the in the space environment here, the cyber environment. So that's what happened in MySpace, and that's what happened, to, especially really Facebook, really started tanking the minute mm -hmm. everybody's mom and dad got on there. And originally, it was supposed to be just a fun environment, right? Connect with old high school buddies, connect with college friends, whatever it was, cousins that you never met in another country, maybe, or whatever it is. And now, when, it, when the parents start getting in, then the kids, after a while, you start, I'm out of here. And I remember asking, where did you leave? My parents were on there. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, be, I wanted to talk to my friends privately. And then, of course, you had everything else that started popping up. Uh, became really negative. I think it was about, there was another article a few years ago that showed, I think it was about three to one or four to one of the posts were negative. And the ones being mm -hmm. promoted were usually negative. And the news is very aware of this. If you notice with uh, the stock market, they don't always talk about it when it's doing great. They usually they'll talk about it one day and then you always get the one good person. There's always got to be the one guy or gal that comes on and says, yeah, it's going great today, but it'll go bad tomorrow. So yeah, they have to ruin the whole thing. But usually they, I think there was like 70% of the newscasts on business is always negative going down. That kind of makes sense. So, I mean, that's what, you know, it's, it's shocking, which makes people watch it, right? <gasps> the world is ending. Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? Versus, you know, hey, everything's great. We're all good. You know, that makes for a very short news cycle, I guess. <laughs> it um, is. Nobody's going to pay attention, right? If everything's going hunky-dory, what do I need to bother with? Yeah. I think uh, I think this is, at least in my mind, why podcasting uh, has become so prevalent across the board, uh, even with young people, is the fact that it, it's a long form and you get to dive into a topic in depth versus... Um, you know, a lot of even TikTok or Instagram or things, you know, you're getting a very, uh, what's the word, surface level um, of the world versus the depth of which podcasting can develop or even video on YouTube and so on and so forth. Um, do you think that there's any, do you think this is a it's kind of a sign of the times? Because I, I look backwards as well and I see, you know, when newsprint started to, to die off and then magazines started to die off and video started to die off and it, it became so formulated that it lost its usefulness at least in my mind any thoughts on that before the uh, fire truck gets there <laughs> yeah i know what the heck is that um yeah no you're right i think it i think it does i think everything is human nature what i have noticed I'm trying to see how I could condense this as I know it's an hour show. But what I'm trying to figure out is there's, there's patterns that we have in, in history, in human patterns. We have gen generational changes. Every 20 to 5 to 30 years, typically you'll see a change, right? Usually you'll, the person becomes 20, they don't want to be like their parents anymore. So that kind of changes a little bit. Um, but what ends up happening is it starts shifting everything else in their world. Um, no, sorry about that. <laughs> but it starts shifting everything in their world. Um and that that's kind of interesting when it comes to like the economy, for instance, the economy focuses, I'll get to the point in a minute, but the economy focuses on whoever makes the money. So now in the last 30 years, who is it? It's the young crew, right? It's everybody 25 and under or whatever it was, whatever it is now. So all the teenagers, they can buy songs. When I grew up, you couldn't do that. We didn't have that kind of money. We didn't have that kind of ability. Now you can. Teenagers never travel when I grew up. I don't know about you guys, but we never really did. You didn't have the ability or the money. Now everybody does it. So there's that's a whole new market. So they're kind of guiding everything. 
But what social media did is it expedited that. Instead of changing every 20 to 25 years, I'm starting to notice things are starting to speed up. Now it's like every five or 10 years. Now it's the 14 to 18 year olds that start dominating because that's where the, the target is. If you look at the TV shows when we grew up, um, at least me, all the, the protagonists, the superheroes are what? Really a lot older. They're in their 50s and 60s. If you think of Barnaby Jones, Marcus mm -hmm. Welby, uh, I'm going to way, really old school here. Rock Let's not go Fire. crazy with Magnum PI. <laughs> <laughs> and the shorts, right? Um, yeah, now it's, who is it now? Harry Potter at 13 years of age, 14 years of age. So you can see who they're targeting. And yeah. so I kind of see that really speeding up. So I was kind of surprised, honestly, that social media turned so fast and how it started really hitting downward really quickly but i guess that's the only reason i can explain hmm. so uh chance had hit me up here uh i don't know maybe a couple of weeks ago teasing me with this idea of social media the social impact of social media and and as he framed it or at least how i heard it was yeah social media is on the downslide it's reducing rather than increasing that's generally how it put it across to me. And I said, uh, no, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> and he said, oh, there's going to be someone who's coming on who's going to be able to present the idea that it is on the down rather than the up. And I said, well, I look forward to discussing that conversation <laughs> with someone who thinks that. And so let me posit this. I think that in order to... Uh, have a, uh, a more full discussion, I'd like to define a little bit better the social aspect of media. So in to some degree, I think of social media as just social media. It's not about whether it's commercials or, or it's about ages or about whatever. Mm -hmm. The entirety of social media is what I would like to discuss. And I think that social media is on the increase or the traction has a larger uptake than a reduced uptake. So my point to Chance a, a couple of weeks ago was, uh, I disagree. Social media traction is increasing, not decreasing. And I'll state it this way as not evidence, but to begin the discussion. Five years ago, we were in Taiwan. We spent a month there traveling around as a family. And uh, while we were there, it was the first time that I made note of the pervasiveness of social media because over there at that time mm -hmm. kids are in school and then once school is finished they get out of school they jump on a train and they go to their next school called evening school and evening school is there to increase their abilities to be educated therefore move up through the social ladder through the professional ladder etc cetera, etc cetera, be all that you can be within the educational system and so whenever we were traveling particularly in the evenings we would see kids you know 9 10 years old getting onto a train in taipei by themselves as an example and uh, traveling many many stops and then getting off by themselves to go to their evening school. Nearly entire trains full of kids. And what were they doing the entire time? All of them on their phones, all of the social media constantly. For an entire month, that's all I saw was mega traction on social media uh, amongst every kid from the age of, again, from probably eight till about 18 years of age. I'd never seen it to such a degree 
five years ago. But since then, you know, having seen it throughout an entire society, it made me think, okay, yeah, I'm evaluating the world what through North America. Actually, I need to expand my scale and, and observe the world in a more fuller sense. So last summer, we spent a month in Europe traveling around Ireland, France, and Italy. And again, social media, dominant among that young population, and I would say up to about 30 years of age, constantly on the phone, not, not playing a game, but constantly interacting with someone. And so as I see it, just a little bit of traveling, those two examples, of course, I've done more. And observing, of course, I've done more. My belief is that social media is on the rise, not on the decline. And I think it could be, I understand what you're saying. I think it's, a, it's the differences in how maybe I define it. Maybe I should have prefaced it better. Internationally, is going to be a different ballgame, like you mentioned, for sure. A lot of people tend to catch up. Because I have seen YouTube shift a lot. Their numbers are growing. I think it's almost to the point of the U.S. now in regards to India's interaction right. with social media. Now, again, the definition of what social media is, maybe where you and I uh, are disagreeing a little bit on it. Um, I'm looking at just the social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, a lot of the individuals like I have, the students, when I look at 18 or 20-year-olds, they're doing the same thing like you just mentioned. They're always on the phone. And then when they look or talk, they're usually just chatting, texting one another, um, playing, what is it, Wordle? Um, so they're doing all kinds of things. That game drives me nuts. But they got Wordle, and then they have um, other games that they're playing on there, whatever it is, Candy Crush. I don't even know if that's even around anymore. All these different things that they're playing. So I'm wondering if that if that's the scenario in others of the countries or not. I know in YouTube, I never saw it before, but if you type in certain things like from the medical profession, I'll type in some kind of pathophysiology thing or something, I'll get 50, 60% of the videos coming from individuals from India. Mm -hmm. which I never saw before. And it's nothing bad or good. It's indifferent. It's just looking at it going, wait a minute, <laughs> what was that all of a sudden? But when I look at the advertising, even the advertising on the podcasts, when I said, hey, what's going on here? What's, what's, why, why is this changing? Why is this, why are numbers going up or going down? It says it really depends on who's listening. So I guess from my perspective, yeah, it is the US. Uh, that's what kind of what I'm looking at. And I'm looking at just at those four major platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, those are the ones that I'm looking at and TikTok, TikTok's really having a, a tough time, obviously, because they want to get rid of it. So they're trying to ban it here. And the other thing to look at, at least from my point of view, is look at the news when they start hitting social media, when you lose your friend, the, the news cycle, <laughs> you got yourself a problem. And when they start popping out stuff like Facebook is bad for teenagers, uh, they think one of the States just banned uh, TikTok for all the teenagers in their country, in their state. Another, uh, I can't remember which one it was. So that now there's some kind of activity going on already trying to control individuals. That's what I meant about social media. I meant mostly those four platforms. Right. I think phone use, you're absolutely right. That's not going anywhere. And what you can mm -hmm. do on your phone is basically laptop stuff almost. Yeah. So I don't do, know you think, do you think, do you think it has to do with the level of interaction? Because like back when Facebook was new, I remember being on that, being young and being like, yeah, Facebook, I can talk to my friends and this is going to be awesome. Um, and then Messenger came, the Messenger portion of it opened up and it allowed for a lot more interaction. And Facebook, I found I used less because I could just interact with people directly. So I didn't have to wait for the posts and the, the comments and all these other things. And similar with uh, with Instagram and other stuff is that 
I look at it more as an interaction tool mm -hmm. than I do see it as, you know, a place to put my pictures kind of thing. <laughs> so do you, do you think that perhaps it, it goes along the lines of like when people, uh, people utilize it as an interaction style versus just scrolling or looking at stuff? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's that's I think it was one of the biggest issues is that people started using it. People always wanted to use it as a communication system mm. to be able to talk to each other in a fast way, share pictures. But now you can do that with group, you know, with group text. You don't have to do that necessarily. And you keep out people you don't want. Because I don't know if you remember the first times, the first months when you were on there, you didn't have a lot of uh, negative elements in there. No. There's a lot of bad element in there now. You know, before this goes into the forensic psych world, but when we talk about individuals, sexual, child sexual predators, 30, 40 years ago, what did they do? They used to hang around parks. They used to go to malls. They used to go wherever the kids were. They don't have to do that anymore. Now you can just follow around social media. And there's so many warnings. And I think so many people who, I, I, teenagers that I've talked to, who almost every single one has said, yeah, I've been, a, I've been contacted by somebody on there that I shouldn't have been contacted by. And that was the number one reason um, they told me at least they got off is because they didn't like being in the public eye like that. That scared them. Um, so I think the chatting is important. That's what they want. We want to communicate and share their life with their friends, but they didn't want to share with other people that shouldn't have been shared with. Mm. You know, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a, uh... It's not quite a necessary evil. And it, literally, I chose the word evil for the right person, uh, uh, the yeah. right subject. But it, it is kind of necessary to be able to figure out that dilemma of how much public-private, how to interact with the broader world around you versus the inner circle of friends that you just want to chat with. I mean, these are things that have to be learned sooner rather than later. Because as I see it, um, to some degree, there is a generation that's growing up that doesn't know how to interact with itself. I mean, you put 10 people in a room uh, around the age of uh, 18 to 25, and there's far less talking and far more clicking. Oh, yeah. And so people struggle to interact in, in a, in a organic, free flowing, comfortable, relatable way. And so, you know, I think it's cool that there's a means of communication for a generation that is familiar with that style, but it's not doing them any favors once they bounce out into the big world and start playing with the other generations, or more correctly, as they evolve over the decades, moving up through maybe a chain of command or within an institution where they have more responsibility, more resources to manage, more ripple on impact. 10, 20 years from now, they don't have the wherewithal to be able to properly communicate across their entire institution. And then what? So I see some real problems uh, facing us in the future uh, until people learn how to communicate just a little bit better. Absolutely. It scares me that sometimes you see doing, families doing the exact same thing you just mentioning. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at parents sitting there looking at their phones when they're having dinner with their children at a restaurant. I'm thinking, you don't understand your child's 12 years old, 11 years old. You're not going to have that moment for very much longer. That's right. And they just, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, um, 
Yeah. Well, hey, Mitch made it to, to Ottawa, so that's good. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Despite the ice storm. <laughs> you can you can watch the comments. I, like I was actually going to. I, was I don't gonna, see any comments at my yeah, end. It, oh. he, I think you're I think you're, you're on. Uh, I got you right here. Is this you <laughs> saying hi to everybody? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, we're, and yeah, Gray Man's here and Mitch. Good to see you. Um, the. <laughs> the 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 thing the reason I want to talk about the, the the social aspect of media itself is the fact that this isn't new, right? This isn't like it, as you said, it's um it's sped up. The process is speeding up, but I think that the the system is still kind of new. And I mean, I've read some. This is just anecdotal story, but I've read some stuff of from uh you know letters to the editor back in like the 1920s of all these people you know all these kids just sitting inside listening to the radio all the time right like and it's that that older generation looking at the new technology going like what in the heck is happening but there's an evolution within the social structures when new technology evolves same thing with tv it's the same thing with uh you know, when people learned how to read initially with the printing press and like when that was starting to, it was a, it was an issue. Almost, 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 you can just give people information whenever you want. Like that's insane. But now, you know, we've just sped it up a little bit more. So I'm wondering, do you think that there's a, uh, a larger social development and kind of like develop larger social development developing <laughs> in, uh, you know, in, in this next 10, 15 years where we're going to see kind of a social shift based upon the media that we're using? So if I get it correct, you're, I think you're kind of implying what, what Sean was saying too, like it's going to heading to a, a bad direction of social development. Uh, no, sure. just, I think, uh, I think we're looking at more of a hmm, kind of a lateral shift, right? Like when, um, when I was a kid and uh, we started like I was a kid in the in the late '80s, early '90s, you know, video games. Oh my goodness, we can do stuff with video games. It was a big deal, right? And my parents were looking at it, going like, "These are violent and coarse, and we shouldn't be playing these things." But it, it allowed us to kind of enter. Well, into... they were right. They were, well, sure. <laughs> and however you choose to interpret it beyond this point is wrong. But they were right. So let's not move beyond that as if it wasn't a thing. Okay, no, I'm not saying that they weren't, those games weren't there. But what I'm saying is, is that it shifted the way that, like, my generation looked at the world, right? It, because I was seeing it through a, a wider lens of fantasy or other people's stories or um, especially when they started developing the multiplayer aspect of it, being able to play online and being able to interact with people from all over the world and play the game. And so I saw a, you know, my generation of uh, people in there, I guess we're millennials. I don't know. I was born in 82. I don't know when the actual line is. But anyway, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> I, I've seen this, you know, we relate the to the world through kind of a lens of fantasy, for lack of a better word, because of the fact that we interact through video games as, as youth. Do you think that this next generation, these kids that are growing up with phones completely uh, at their disposal, not just phones, but social media and all these other things, do you think that's going to have a shift in how they view the world? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it, there's, there's so much to unpack on that one. But um, <laughs> how do you view the world internationally has changed a lot, obviously. Um, 
when I grew up, maybe when you grew up, um, it was different that, uh, you know, if I wanted to find out about Cuba, that's where my parents are from. If I wanted to find out about Cuba, I have to look at a encyclopedia. So I knew the altitude of Cuba and the weather and the plant. That's about as much as I knew about Cuba. And then somebody who wrote some little book about it that had some kind of anecdotal experience. Now you can learn anything you want about Cuba and find out anything about the people. You can communicate with the people if you want. This is what this is. And I don't want people to think I'm anti-social media. I think social media can be great. It has the opportunity to be wonderful like it was early on before it became this kind of rogue entity. But um, what I'm worried about is the level of disinformation that's out there, the level of deep fakes, the level of um, actors that are bad, the ability to trick people constantly into providing information. That's what scares me the most. But so that how they do, how they view the world, I'm starting again. At least from my small population that I've encountered, I'm starting to see the population looking, the younger population looking at social media as being very distrusting of it. I'm not sure what I'm really getting now. Am I really getting this view of Cuba or this view of whatever country? Is it really accurate or is it slanted because of whoever is there presenting a certain narrative? Um, you know, you'll get three or four videos from one country and you can't even tell, are they in turmoil or they're not in turmoil? Are they okay or they're not okay? I'm all over the place. I can't really figure what this is. And some people just get frustrated. I don't know if you ever read the book, um, The Paradox of Choice by Schwartz. I haven't. And uh, he talked about when you have too many choices and you have too many things thrown at you, people get overwhelmed and shut down. And this actually happened to an old friend of mine years ago when he left Romania when it was communist and he left he came to the U.S. and his wife sent him to the store to buy cheese. And they only had one kind of cheese, I guess, at the time in Romania, he said. And when he went to the market, they had about a dozen and a half, two dozen cheeses. And he literally had a panic attack and left without the cheese. And she was like, what happened to the cheese? I, said, I couldn't do it. There was too many choices. And for him, the anxiety level was too high. So I'm wondering if this is one of the reasons – Today's young people have this kind of high levels of anxiety because they really can't tell what's going on. Everything is negative on there. You see a lot of negative news. That's what they know people are going to get clicked on. So I don't know. I think it definitely changes their world. There's no doubt about it. It has to. There's a lot of things they, they know now that they never knew before. Quotes that we used to say 20, 30 years ago now become cliches because everybody uses them so often. You know those pages on Instagram, right? Everybody's got a quote page, and and it's like you used to hear that like once every three years, and now you see it like every two seconds. Uh, what was the, the the one of the Nietzsche? If you look oh, at yeah. the abyss, dark abyss, you become the abyss. Whatever it is, and I can't remember it. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen that bloody quote out there? It's like a hundred times now per yeah. day. I uh, Sean was bugging me a while a while ago that I I I put a lot of posts about. Uh, you know, like Marcus Aurelius or uh, Seneca or, you know, the, you know, Stoic <laughs> quotes and stuff like that. And he, I had never heard of Stoicism until social media, right? I never even, never even came in my mind. And it wasn't yeah. until I actually started oh, looking into good. it a little bit. Because <laughs> now I'd but, like to launch into something. Okay. Oh, no, what do you got? Here. What do you got? Dive right. in. Oh, first of all, I would like to establish this, that generationally speaking, I'm at 60, you're at 50, you're at 40. Let's, let's let's go with that. Very mm -hmm. simple. Three different uh, levels of generational observation. Not that I've seen anything that you guys haven't. I'm just saying I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. Here's what I've seen. I remember when people used to read books and yeah. sit and think about it. 
And I'm sure that was the case for you as well. But chance, that wasn't the case for you. Because though you may have read, your generation actually got fed oh, information. Yep. You got fed video games. You never got to choose the message that that video game was delivering because you were thoughtlessly consuming it. You don't know what the programming was. And I'm not talking about computer gaming programming. I'm talking about how you were being programmed. You were being led down the garden path that you were completely unaware of to get you to this point right now, where you're still unsure of the programming that was driven into you and your friends and the, the definition of what the world is all about. You were taught that by a video game to some degree. Now, of yeah. course, you got to clarify that through your own life experiences and blah, 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 whatever. But at a, a an, an unconscious or a subconscious or an autonomous level, you've got a bunch of programming in you that you don't even know about. I do not, because that wasn't my generation. And here's what I see happening. The lack of critical thought. Mm. The reason, as you say, Doc, uh, that people sometimes struggle to understand what they're being told, what is real, if this, then that, a lot of those things are a struggle right now because critical thought has never been taught or learned. Because there's a generation, chances generation, and the newer generations that were programmed not to critically think. They were critically programmed. And so now we have uh, younger generations that don't know what's true, don't know what's false, nor do they care because they're just in the video game playing it. And just as long as they can keep plugging away, it's less important about where the jewels come from and where the dragon comes from in the video game called real life. They're just marching on being programmed in a way that doesn't require critical thought. And so at each branching point, it is a, it's, it's a question of how much panic is invoked or how much anxiety is created or how much disconnect from uh, kind of how real life works based on how much programming they've absorbed. And so my generation wasn't that. We learned how to critically think by throwing rocks at each other. <laughs> not by doing mouse clicks. You know what I mean? You, you get a rock in the head and you learn that you bleed. But in a video game, you can throw rocks at each other, digital rocks at each other all day long, and there's no consequences. That's mm -hmm. a very simple overview of where I think things are kind of negatively spiraling in the sense of real life versus digital life. Makes a lot of sense. Any thoughts, Doc? That's a great point. I mean, I have to ask Sean a question too. That by all means, I, th I think even TV shows have changed. Don't you think? I mean, TV shows and movies—they really used to be so much more cerebral. When you watch mm. some of these movies, you're kind of like, "Whoa, <laughs> who's going to watch that?" I don't know if you remember—I can't remember the name "Firing Line" or something like that with um, Buckley. No, it was an old. Oh yes, show. right. Oh yes. I mean, you'd have to be. <laughs> really on it to be able to pay attention to these people talking because they're not going to dumb it down 100%. for you. Here. Yeah, Dude, it, I, it, it, it was things like that that set the stage for me to think, oh, I got to pick up my socks as a young guy. Like there's thinkers out there. There's cerebral people out there. There are deep wisdom seekers out there. And I thought that that was kind of normal. But it is yeah. absolutely not normal nowadays. And it's it's not for lack of like 
an amount of humans. There's so many humans out there that can do it, but it's just not being encouraged or, or um, shaped as the common example of that is what the expectations are to firing line situations. No, you're absolutely right. It's it's crazy because everything's again back to my point earlier in the, in the conversation. Everything's geared to the younger generation, and back then it wasn't geared to the younger generation; it was geared to the older generation. So the younger generation, as you point out, had to start developing critical thinking skills and listen to these both sides of these arguments to try to figure out what was going on. Um, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. You make some great points. It has, and, and you know, the uh, as you speak of firing line, and I can think of some uh, older British interviews, and and mm. I kind of think of those because classy, you know, like re not reserved but appropriately classy in their line of questioning and their line of listening and their retort at an at an intellectual level that made me feel like it's a higher order of thinking. It's a, it's a polished presentation to some degree. And I just find nowadays it lacks that level of interaction where people are intellectually engaging with each other as well as emotionally and psychologically and all of the good stuff. And that's kind of what we're trying to do over here, by the way. We're not quite firing line, <laughs> but making an effort. Absolutely. I have a question. I got a question for you both because this kind of came into my head as we were, as you guys were talking, was that I think it has to do with uh, advertising as well. I mean, there is a billboard that's flashing in my head when I was a kid. We were driving past and it was, I believe it was for Dairy Queen and it was uh, scream until your parents pull over or it was like something like that, right? And it was one of those things that always stuck in my head. It was like that that would get me whooped. Like, like if I even tried to try <laughs> they'd pull over all right. And then I would get told, but the, uh, but I, I was thinking about it and I realized that, you know, back in the fifties or even upwards of the sixties, you started seeing, uh, advertisements or in the fifties pre kind of hippie era advertisements were built to parents right? This will make your life easier with your kids, or this will make your life, you know, more efficient or more convenient, whatever. And then you hit about the 60s, mid 60s and stuff like that. And you start seeing more advertisement directed towards teenagers, or, you know, 19, 20 year olds, like, oh, yeah, your life's gonna be great. And you can do these, you can do whatever you want, you have freedom and blah, blah, blah. And then again, 70s and 80s, and everything started, the advertising started aiming lower and lower of age, versus just to, um, <clears throat> at least that's my thought. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's perhaps it's just easier to aim lower and have, try and like uh, sell to people that don't have that ability to critically think, right? It, it seems like it's an easier uh, as a marketing <laughs> person to go, oh, well, yeah, let's market this to people that don't know any better. Like it's the, do you think that's kind of where we're going with this or? I'm going to take a shot at you. you got it. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think um, going back to the prefrontal cortex, as was mentioned earlier, um, it's obviously not developed. So you're right. I think they know that. They obviously know that. They hire a lot of psychologists to work for companies to help them market and sell stuff. Um, when I talk to students, they'll know when you go to your grocery store in the aisle, 
the foods are placed in the middle eye level are the most expensive spots because they know people are going to tend to look there and not look anywhere else to buy anything. So mm -hmm. everybody wants that premium spot. And when you're under the age of 20, no offense, and everybody's got different degrees of this, um, your emotional system is much stronger than your cognitive system. So it, it overtakes it easily. So some would call it the, the reptilian brain, whatever you want to call it will definitely kick in. And you're not going to have that developed prefrontal cortex helping you to understand and critically think. That's where the critical thinking is. That's where you anticipate consequences. That was where you make your decisions. And it's not that strong at that point. And everybody's different. Everybody's different because you can train your child as you go through early, early on age to start thinking critically, right? Um, maybe some of you, maybe Sean had it too when he was growing up, but the parents would say, well, why shouldn't you do that? What would happen if you actually did this? And you actually converse with them. One of my biggest pet peeves, and I know I'm kind of straying away. I'll, I'll bring it back, Chance, but I'm kind of straying away. Is when <laughs> parents will say, don't do that. But why? If it's a four-year-old and you threw a box of cereal, they may not know exactly why. Is it just the box of cereal I can't throw? Is it anything I can't throw in this store? Why can't I throw it? Is it just your problem? <laughs> What's going on? And if you start explaining, you know, we don't do that. We don't go somewhere else. We don't, we don't throw anything in the store. It's not ours. And you start explaining, then they start understanding the world around them instead of just being told what not to do and to do. And I think with that emotional drive is what the marketing agencies will definitely target because they know it. That's why they we're one of the few countries that, that uh, I think in Europe, they don't advertise fast foods. I don't think allowed in Europe. A lot of the fruit, the cereals, you're not allowed to target children. A lot of the candies, you can't target children. They got that one figured out a little bit over there. They do. Hmm. Do they? Do they market yeah. it? Yeah. See, they used to not be able to. I don't know if it changed or not. They oh, sorry. They, it's really tight uh, is what I'm saying oh, is, is okay. to your point, you are right. It It is tightly, I want to say regulated, but regulated has sort of a negative connotation nowadays. And I don't want to use it as a negative because what it is, is tightly managed managed so that it's a positive for society rather than a negative for society. And, and it's fantastic. I'd love to see more of it over in North America. I mean, Canada as a whole does, uh, is, is less invasive than the U S I mean, uh, anyone who's traveled between the two countries, it's easy to draw the Delta or the distinction between the two countries in respect to the massive amounts of advertising that goes on down in the U S it's, it's completely invasive. You can't get away from it. And so I'd like to go back to the point that you raised, Chance. And, and I do agree that uh, there, there has been a distinction between, uh, as you say, Doc, intelligent programming by professionals who are good at programming kids and family units. And so the switch was towards that younger generation because they're easy to manipulate because their PFC still isn't squared away and, and parents were getting busier and they're just looking for an electronic babysitter. They're just looking for a box of cereal babysitter. They're just looking for a TV show babysitter. They're busy and they just don't want to deal with the process of raising their children in a way that requires critical thought. We're not going to talk about critical thought. We're going to talk about, here's my phone, play with it. I mean, how many times have you seen that happen? I can't even count that high, that mm -hmm. the responsibility of parenting is handed over to a digital device nowadays. And so I think that the scary part as a society is uh, children aren't being encouraged to engage in critical thought. In fact, quite the contrary. They're, they are convinced that critical thought should only come from a video game 
and that's how they're going to learn how the world works and it's a problem yes yes indeed it is a problem so well let's uh let's let's think of some uh some solutions what do you think how do we how do we teach children or people that are you know teenagers young adults people who are in their 20s how do we get them to begin critically thinking how do we get them to see that they need to critically think and then develop that ability doc i want to go quickly with one more negative and i'll go right into that because <laughs> what scares me now is the ai world mm, because yeah. to me it's like siri on steroids um you can get anything you want and critical thinking you can even ask it to do it for you so back to sean's point originally uh, <laughs> it's even getting more dangerous but back to your point chance and i'd love to see if, if, if the audience has any comments on what their thoughts are on this but it all starts with the parents. A lot of it starts with the parents and then it starts going to the school. There's a lot of little things that parents can do. Delayed gratification, we know works very well to start developing the prefrontal cortex, to be able to develop patience and emotional regulation, to be able to play, get this, chess. That was a great game. This seems to have gone by the wayside, but that develops a lot of, believe it or not, prefrontal cortex and what you guys have, cognitive flexibility. Because you got to think about four or five moves that come at you, three or four moves that you can move. There's a lot of different variables there. And that's where cognitive flexibility comes in. So playing chess, making your children think when they read something. As Sean mentioned earlier, too, you, know, you get fed stuff instead of actually learning stuff. But make them read a book. If it's 10 minutes a day, it's fine. And then have them talk about it with you. I can't tell you how many parents I don't see that anymore. Mm. What are they reading? I don't know. Why don't you find out what they're reading and talk about it? Maybe every night at dinner time or whatever it is, wherever you can. If you're not at home at dinner, I'm assuming you're seeing them hopefully for five or 10 minutes. Hey, what are you reading? Well, what's it about? I can't remember that book. It's been too long. Oh, what do you think about this? You can read about Harry Potter, for instance, and there's plenty of stories in there <laughs> that you can figure out. Was this right? Was this wrong? So exploring the world with them and then getting them to think at a young age is a crucial moment. And then of course it goes to the teachers and then the professors as they start going through academics in high school and college. And that's a bigger monster to tackle because it really depends. You're going to have to figure out the schools you're going to send them to and, and how they operate. Do they do critical thinking? Some argue that they do critical thinking, but it's not necessarily true. So you have to be careful with that. Are they open to both sides when they read about something? Hell, it's not even both sides. That's more of a tribalistic mindset. It could be multiple sides of whatever it is. They're nuanced. But you could have one argument that could have five different versions of that argument. Learn about the five different versions. Maybe three of them sound like complete nonsense to you, but the other two, I can't really decide. And their critical thinking begins. So there's, there's a lot of little things you can do, but honestly, it's wherever, remember, seven and under, 80% of the time they're with their, their families, actually six and under, 80% of the time they're with their families most of the time or 70%. It always blows my mind when you have a three or four year old and the parent says, I don't know where they got that from. Well, they're not hanging out in the streets with anybody, I don't think. <laughs> three or four years old, where do you think they got that from? Yeah, that uh, actually raises a, a little memory that I saw uh, not too long ago. Uh, walking down the sidewalk in my little uh, hometown here and there was a mother and a little kid little daughter about two years old and uh and i was trying to get around them on the sidewalk and the mom had handed the little girl uh the big iphone of the day and and 
and the kid was playing whatever candy crush i don't care whatever and and weeble wobbling all over the sidewalk and i was trying to get around and and every time i went to make a move the little little kid was weaving in front of me and i and, and i kind of looked at the mom and smiled and 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 didn't say anything and and she just looked at me and she said yeah she gets so distracted when she's playing the game i don't know why i'm like is this even happening right now is this happening right now did you just say that out loud and it is indicative of what's going on in society it is a lazy parenting mindset handing over the burden of responsibility to raising your kid in a non-critical thought manner and considering that it, it's perfectly normal what is happening in that moment and that will go on as long as possible that that kid can engage in that process of digitally disappearing with no critical thought until they're 18 and then they're out into the next generational working period that they they didn't engage in critical thought they were raised in a programmed manner through candy crush they never interacted with their peers because they were so busy weeble wobbling on the sidewalk the future i'm not going to say it's it's eroding but the future isn't that positive particularly when you consider chat gpt 4.0 I'll now use another example, and I'm interested in your thoughts. So someone said to me not too long ago, hey, Sean, you know, you talk about this, you talk about that. Why don't you just use chat GPT before you go and do a live chat? Type in whatever you think you're going to talk about, get the response, and then you can use that. And I was like, bro, do you even know me? Do you know anything about me? You, you just described the biggest shortcut in the world that I will never, ever use because it is the complete opposite of critical thought and representing who I am as a human being. I appreciate technology. I use technology. I'm kind of handy with it, but that doesn't mean it's a proxy for my own intelligence. It isn't a proxy for my own critical thought. It isn't a proxy to represent me. So I feel that we are moving into an era where there is some danger to a generation who wasn't taught critical thought doesn't communicate very well within its own peers and now is spending more time digitally communicating with chat gpt 4.0 what that's going to look like in the future i'm curious do you have any thoughts on that yeah i have a lot of thoughts on it but <laughs> i'm running out of time but one more thing the chances of uh, question earlier also limit the time they're on social media and their phones that's, that's really the big kicker, too, besides the parents interacting with them, is just limit that time. Uh, you can do it, believe it or not. 30 minutes a week is good enough. <laughs> we that's how I TV. raised our boys. Exactly. So that, that's one thing I just skipped my mind, but as you're mentioning it with the mom and the girl, and I'm thinking, what a tragedy to walk in the middle of the street, or not in the middle of the street, but in the sidewalk outside and have to use a phone at that moment when you can look around. Hey, you know what? I get it. If it's an eight-hour trip somewhere, that's a little hard to pull off with a six-year-old. I get it. You want to take an hour to go on the social media? I mean, the, the TV, the phone, I get that. But, man, uh, back to yours with a chat GPT. I, I'll probably have a different take that you'll probably, than you'll probably hear. Because my take is I think it's I think it's going to be big problems really soon. <laughs> I don't think it'll even get able to, be able to take off. Um, one of the reasons is it's challenging way too many institutions. I think I told Chance this before. It's challenging the medical profession. It's challenging the legal profession. It's challenging the finance market. It's challenging anything that has jobs. I mean, they're in my articles all the time. So my opinion, when you've messed up, when you've hit the hornet's nest like that, everybody's going to come against you. 
and we're going to go, you're no way you're getting loose. Because if you get loose, we lose our jobs. We lose a lot because it does have some positive qualities. I mean, you can look up anything you want. You can learn a lot if you need to learn. I mean, it's just like an encyclopedia. It was just incredibly fast and it does do a lot of good things and it can really hurt a lot of individuals in their jobs. So I don't know if chat GPT will ever get the chance to do what it wants to do. Because in the world of academics right now, a lot of professors are scared, and justifiably so, um, that you can ask it to type out a 500-word essay on the soft oh, community. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and it'll do it. And mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Uh, now they're, they're starting to come out with platforms to counter that. But I do think it's going to be, you're going to run out of, it's going to run out of its time, I think, I think, soon unless they figure out a way to control it and rein it in because it's, it can really damage it. If they don't, to your theory, if it doesn't go away, I'm not sure if that's your theory or not, but what can be the consequences of it? Um, I think you're going, to a lot of, you're going to get a lot of people who think they're smart when they're not. You're going to get a lot of that Dunning-Kruger effect. That's my thought as well. Yeah, you're going to go back to people because now you get somebody who says, it used to be very few people knew the phrase, all that glitters is, gold, is not gold which is a Shakespeare uh, line. And now they say it because it's some singer who sings it <laughs> and they have no clue. And that's perfect. It's like, you even know where that's from? Uh, yeah, it's from such and such person. <laughs> right. I love that. Well done. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I, I think Ch chat GPT is a big, big mess. I see chances. To <laughs> well, I, uh, well, I was just, I'm looking something up too. Cause, um, as we were talking about, you know, things you can do to get your kids to critically think. We, my wife and I, well, my wife picked this up because she's much better at it than I am. Um, and it was a, a thing called Our Moments. <clears throat> and it's just like a deck of cards. And it comes up with little conversation starters and things like that. And one of the ones That's that it great. brought up um, was, uh, it asked the question, if you were starving, would it be okay to steal food? And... My, you know, my boy sat there and thought about it for a little while and they were like, well, no, stealing's bad. I'm like, but you're starving. You really, you need to eat. Otherwise you'll die. Do you think it would be, you know, do you think you could then steal food? And they wrestled with it for a little while and they started their own conversation, you know, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old talking to each other about it. Right. And we have, you know, we try to have conversations about that regularly at the dinner table. I, I do my best to, uh, to involve them in a conversation whenever we're sitting at the dinner table because it it's really easy to just sit and eat. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. I mean, you do. You get to learn a lot about their mindset and they get to learn how to, how to critically think, as Sean had mentioned earlier as well. Both of you, that's a great point because they get to learn that. I'm trying to think. I've seen families that do fun games like that and they'll ask questions, what kind of food do you like or do you yeah. like this? And it's amazing to me sometimes when the husband and wife will look at each other and say, I didn't know you didn't like that. And they've been together for like 15 years. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is the 1,000th time I haven't liked it, honey. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the nice thing is that there are options out there. And if you are struggling with it, or if you, you know, got to stop using the word struggling, if you are having a challenge in developing those conversations or knowing what to ask about, there are options out there to develop those conversations. That's and, a great idea, buddy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if you're out there and you don't know what to ask your kids or you don't know how to interact with them, well, start. <laughs> well, I suppose the the uh, logical leap to 
kind of close the loop on that sub this specific subject would be this it's great to have the cards at the table with the thought-provoking questions just don't let your kids pull out their phone and look for the answer yeah <laughs> Yeah. And I think this is, uh, you know, goes to what we're kind of saying is that social media and media itself has its uses, but uh, it definitely shouldn't, those uses shouldn't be laid on the shoulders of children. Or let's, let's let the parents do some critically thinking to help their kids create some critical thinking. Mm. Now you got uh, Sarah made a great point. Too. Oh yeah, there we go. Let's pull it up. I just saw <laughs> we got two people looking at the comments right now. Uh, Sarah, says, <laughs> Sarah says people are pretty bad at seeking different angles of information. They read something somewhere on social media, then the algorithm keeps feeding them the kinds of narrative and they fall for it. hundred uh, percent. Oh, and then she says, Very now true. people argue a lot, which is again, a, a good point. A lot, there's a lot of ego out in the world where, um, this is one of the things that I noticed a long time ago. We used to have, you know, um, not, I used to call them bar fights, but not like actual fights. Like you would, somebody would say did something. You just do that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody would, we wouldn't actually be fighting, but somebody would come up with, uh, you know, oh, you know what? I heard so this thing happened and blah, blah, blah. And somebody would be like, well, no, dude, I read a book about that six months ago and it said that so on and so forth and somebody else would be like well my granddad and you'd create these conversations where you had to manage an actual conversation you had to think and mm. develop and bring up anecdotal stories and uh, learn how to not argue but develop the information and debate versus arguing there you go yeah debate versus arguing and that I think that's something we don't do very well anymore which is what we try to do here it's dangerous sometimes too because people divide groups into either or i think kind of like sarah's yes. point too, they, they, they divide this either that it was in politics they call it the hobson's choice either mm. you're with me or against me kind of thing and that's not yeah. even close to being true <laughs> well time. division does create traction it does they that know does. that too that it does yeah um so we are just over an hour here and i first off uh, Doc, thanks so much for, for joining us. It's been a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. I uh, I hope we can get you back on. I'm gonna see if we can. I'm gonna see how many doctors I can get on one show. <laughs> That'll be chaotic. It's gonna be a doctor off. A doctor off, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to thank you, and it's been awesome talking to you. Any final thoughts? Anything that we uh, burning on the top of your brain about anything we've gone over today? No, uh, well, first, thank you very much for both of you for having me on the show. It was a great time. And uh, I'd love to ever come back if you ever want me to. And second, whoever's out there listening, whoever listens to it in the future, is make sure you interact with people in person as much as you can. Communicate with them. Don't lose your EQs, emotional intelligence, and get to know people for who they really are. And one message for the young people out there, talk to your parents. They're not always going to be around. Get to know them now. You don't want to kick yourself when you're 35 and you wonder, I wonder if my mom and dad did this or knew about this. Ask them now. Write it down in a book somewhere. So trust me, it'll be the time. Sometime in the future, you'll have that question. <laughs> That's a good one. And on top of that, all we ever have is now. So if you want to know, now's the time. <laughs> Sean, any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, thanks for showing up, Doc, and really appreciate what you brought to the conversation. It's awesome. My my question that you don't have to give an answer right now, but you can critically analyze it is, what the heck took you so long to get over here? 
What the heck? Why weren't you here weeks ago? It's all my fault. I'm just going to leave good. it at that. Th yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, the thought-provoking conversation. Thank you mm -hmm. very much, guys. It's awesome. And you know, as we as we all critically think and as we all develop and learn, that allows us to build upon ourselves and build upon our knowledge and help. Hopefully, we can grow as a society. And hopefully, we can do that here today and every day here on the collective. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.